going to go to Job chapter 15 tonight. In your Bible, the book of Job chapter 15, as we continue on through the book of Job and the series, The Faith of Job. We're going to look at Job chapter 15. Job chapter 15, when you find that, if you'd stand with us for the reading of the Word of God in honor of His Word, if you're well able to do so, and if you're not, then God knows all about that also. Job chapter 15, and verse number 1, Then answered Eliphaz the Timonite, and said, Should a wise man utter vain knowledge, and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? Yea, thou castest off fear and restrainest prayer before God. For thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity, and thou choosest the tongue of the crafty. We've already prayed, so you can be seated and we'll get right on into the message. Just a little recap about where we are. We know that God said that Job was a perfect and upright man, that he skewed evil. God himself said that. Job was a man that practiced the things that God would have him to practice. He worked hard to do right, to live right, to raise his kids right, all those different things. The devil came before God and God uh, said, Have thou considered my servant Job? And say, well, why in the world did he do that? I don't know. He's God and he's allowed to do whatever he wants to. It's just the way that it is, absolutely. So, with the uh, okay from God, uh, Job underwent some terrible things. Uh, he lost his family, he lost his goods, he lost his health, and he even lost the. Uh, the, the even lost the, the goodwill of his wife who said, I don't understand why you don't just curse God and die. So, Job's three friends came to comfort him. And boy, did they not do a good job at that. All of them accused him of just about everything they could. While they had no idea why he was going through what he went through, even as Job didn't understand completely what he was going through, so they all had their say-so, and then Job had his say-so. And pretty much said, listen, I don't know why in the world I'm going through this, but I do know this. I'm just going to trust God through it all. And defended himself vehemently, which really he had the right to do. Because it's not as if Job was in, in any terrible sin like his friends had accused him of being. Job, you're going through all this because you're a wicked sinner and you must have some terrible hidden sin in your life, so why don't you admit it? Well, he knew that he didn't have some terrible hidden wicked sin in his life, so he didn't admit anything, even though he didn't fully understand. Uh, but he said, it doesn't matter, in the end of this all, I'm just going to trust God. And so now we start into the second round with Job's friends. And uh, they're not giving up their belief that, uh, of God's divine justice, if you will. Well, what do you mean, preacher? Well, that God punishes bad people and rewards good people. That's just the way that it's going to be. Job has to be being punished because he did something uh, bad. 
They refuse to believe that God is going to let someone that is as innocent as Job says that he is, they refuse to believe that God is going to allow them to suffer as much as Job had suffered all the things that he had gone through. And uh, really, to them, the fact that he has gone through so much lets them know that Job must have some great sin in his life. And so, with Job continuing to argue with them, um, to them, he's just adding sin unto sin. What, what do you mean? Well, every time that he opened his mouth, they just thought, well, he's lying again, and so he's just sinning more, and so he's going to end up paying even more for what he is doing in all of this. And so going into the second round here, Eliphaz comes out, and he comes out viciously attacking Job. He sees Job as a fool for denying being in sin, and he goes on to say that Job's words are dangerous because they could cause other people to get off course. If they're watching this, if they're listening to this, uh, he, he says that some are going to lose their faith in God because of what Job is talking about. And others may lose their fear of God because of how Job is portraying all of this that was going on. And so, bottom line, Job was the target, target of Eliphaz's criticism. And Eliphaz wasn't nice about it either. It's like he had just sit around and listen to everything and gain more ammunition so he could attack him just a little bit harder. And here in chapter 15, he begins to rebuke Job for defending his innocence. And Eliphaz thinks himself to be pretty righteous here for doing that very thing. And he rebukes what Job has been saying in six different categories. Uh, first off, he says, Job, what you're saying is absolutely foolish. Verse number two, should a wise man utter vain knowledge and, and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk? This is Eliphaz talking to Job. Or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? He's saying, what you're saying is absolutely foolish. He, he said it like this, hey Job, your words are empty. He said this, you're just full of hot air. That's your problem. You're just full of hot air. No, no, no. There, The east wind that he talked about there was the wind that blew in off the desert. And it was very dry, and it was very hot, and it made life miserable. And so pretty much what Eliphaz was saying there is, Job, you're just full of hot air. Your arguments are unprofitable. They're not going to help anyone. But he also claimed that what Job was saying was dangerous. Verse number uh, 4 there, Yea, thou castest off fear, and restrainest prayer before God. Here's what he's saying. He said, if the, wicked are believe, if the wicked believe you, Job, they would lose or they would cast off their fear of God. I mean, if blessing doesn't follow goodness, then why be good? But on the flip side, if God cannot be counted on to punish the wicked, just go ahead and live a wicked life. I mean, because you might just get away with it in living that life. And what he was saying is if the righteous believe Job, they could lose their faith in God. Why pray? Why be religious? Why pursue a life of faith if it, if it doesn't earn you any favor with God? I mean, if it doesn't protect you from, from uh, any of the suffering of this life. And so he said, man, Job, you're, you're messing up here. 
I mean, I mean, it's 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 not making any sense what you are saying. Now we have to remember these are Eliphaz's words, but he also claimed that Job's words were incriminating. Verse number five says, "For thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity; thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity, and thou choosest the tongue of the crafty. Thine own ma- thine own mouth condemneth thee, and not I. Yea, thine own lips testify against thee." He said, Job, are you even listening to yourself? The things that are coming out of your mouth, that's what's incriminating you. It's not like, it's not like I'm doing it. You're, you're doing a fine job of it. Uh, by trying to deceive them with devious words, these are the thoughts of Eliphaz, by trying to deceive them with devious words, Job was only adding sin to sin. And in Eliphaz's mind, every time that Job opened his mouth to defend his innocence, it only proved how sinful he had become. And he also labeled what Job was saying uh, as arrogant. Look at verse number 7 there. It said, Art thou thou the first man that was born? Or was thou made before the hills? Hast thou heard the secret of God? And dost thou restrain wisdom to thyself? What knowest thou that we know not? What understandest thou which is not in us? With us are both thy are both the gray-headed and very aged men much elder than thy father? Are the consolations of God small with thee? Is there any secret thing with thee? Isn't it something here? When you read this, do you get it? What do you mean? Eliphaz isn't even, he's not even trying to, he's not, sarcasm must have been his spiritual gift. Because he's really not trying to hide it whatsoever. Being sarcastic with Job and what he just said there. And he, he begins to uh, try to humble Job with a series of questions there. Did you see him? He, he, he said something like this. Uh, let, me, let me paraphrase. He said, are you the first man that was born? Did God create you before He created anything else? Had, has God chosen to let you in on secret counsels, Job, and, and you've been keeping the wisdom to yourself? I mean, you've got all this stuff from God and you've just kept it to yourself. What do you know that we don't know, Job? I mean, do you really believe that you have a better understanding of life than we do? Do you really believe that, Job? And, and, and what do you know? I mean, I mean, are you so proud that you think that you're smarter than all the men that have lived in this world so much longer than you have lived? Do you really think that you know better than the gray heads that are out there? I mean, he is letting him have it. This is his friend. I mean, just blasting him away. And then he says this. He said, your words are just really offensive. They're offensive. Look at verse number 11. Are are the consolations of God small with thee? Is there any secret thing with thee? Why doth thine heart carry thee away? And what do thy eyes wink at? That thou turnest thy spirit against God, and let such words go out of thy mouth. He said, your words are offensive to your friends. And your words are not only offensive to your friends, they're offensive to God. Just bringing us right back to where we are. This is Job's friend, Eliphaz. 
he doesn't really understand at all why Job is going through what he's going through. But he pretty much thinks he's got it all figured out, doesn't he? Uh, there's some lessons to be learned here. We're going to see it. And you know, the, the book of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's a good statement. And a very true statement. Stay with me here. Very good. Proverbs 27.5 says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. That's a good truth also. Absolutely so. Um, when, uh, when, the, uh, when the rebuke is um, truly needed, and when the, uh, when the uh, uh, wounds are called for, it's very good. No, no. The Apostle Paul said, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? No, 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 no. Somebody that will tell you the absolute truth, even when it hurts, is a good friend. But it always has to be done in the right spirit, doesn't it? In the right manner. In the right way. And with knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. Those two Proverbs remind us that it's good to have friends. He'll tell us the truth. We, we all need people who love us enough to point out our faults, to tell us when we are wrong, to help us see blind spots in our lives because we're all capable of becoming blind of things in our own life. One benefit of surrounding ourselves with godly friends and, and being actively involved in a good church fellowship such as Riverside Baptist Church is the opportunity to receive godly correction from those that care about us. I'm thankful for godly friends. I'm thankful for people along the way that have said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait, wait, you're not in the right in all of this. I'm very thankful for that. And, but Job's friends remind us that we need to be gracious and we need to be cautious when we're trying to correct others. Gracious. Full of grace. And cautious. To not speak too soon when we might think we have everything figured out when we don't have everything figured out. Um, but all this was coming out of his mouth this way because of his theology. His theology. Um, I, I titled the message tonight, A Corrupt, a corrupt Theology. Because it was. Um, on through the rest of this chapter, uh, chapter uh, uh, verses 14 through 35, Eliphaz presents his theology of, of sin and, and justice. And he gives three different arguments here aimed to convict Job of guilt and also to warn him of the uh, foolishness of continuing to declare his innocence. And he points out some things that are, that are true, <clears throat> um, to an extent. You know, even the devil in the Garden of Eden 
he told some truths, didn't he? But he mixed a little bit of untruth in with it. And any truth that's uh, tainted by untruth, well, it just becomes untruth. It's not right. It's not good. And he starts off with this thought. Everyone, everyone, everyone is capable of great sin. Everyone. Now look at verse 14. He said, what is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous. Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How, how much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like, like water? So we know this. Every person is born with a sinful nature. We know that. Come on, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one that is not born a sinner. We're born with that sin nature. And, and he said even the holy angels... Uh, there were holy angels that sinned against God, corrupted His heaven. That was true, wasn't it? Come on, there was, was those that followed Satan and were booted out of heaven because of it. So even the holy angels did. And then he said this, what he said there, he said this, those who indulge in little sins will one day be guilty of greater sins. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, think with me for just a second. Not asking for a, for a verbal answer. Think with me just a second. Is, is that true? That that everyone that indulges in little sins will one day be guilty of greater sins? Well, okay, let me ask it this way: Is that true in every instance? In every instance. Well, what do you mean, preacher? Well, well, you know, it's like if somebody was to if somebody okay if somebody steals a uh, a paper clip at work. Does that mean that one day they're going to rob a bank? No. Not necessarily. No, 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 no. But can sin lead to deeper sin? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Sin can lead to deeper sin if it's not repented of. Because sin blinds us of things in our own life at times. And so sin begets sin, doesn't it? Come on. That's one of the reasons we have church services as often as we do each week. Because it gives us a chance for God to speak to our heart. And then we have altars for when those times that God does speak to our heart that we can come down and repent of those sins. Stay with me here. We can come down and repent of those sins. I'm going to say it one more time because it's not a word that's used a lot anymore. We can come down and repent of those sins. No, no, we don't just come down and ask forgiveness. Uh, you know, ask, uh, but we feel sorry and so we ask forgiveness with no thought of changing anything. No, 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 no. That's not what the altar's for. The altar is for repentance of sin. Lord, I need your help. I'm sorry, you're right, I'm wrong, but I don't want to do that anymore. And with your help and with your strength and by your grace, I won't. Well, preacher, what if we come down and we say that and we really mean it and then we end up doing it again? Well, then you'll probably find yourself at the altar again. 
if you really want help from God. Come on. Repentance is not a one-time thing. It took repentance to be saved by the grace of God, and then once we're saved, hallelujah, we can't lose that. But a life trying to live for the Lord Jesus Christ is a life of repentance. Because, well, once again, we all fall short of the grace of God, don't we? We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isn't that right? And so a life lived trying, really trying to live for God is a life of repentance. Asking God to help us. You know, it's a wonderful thing that God loves us enough that He does continue to work in our lives and hearts. He does continue to work. Isn't this something? How God will work on one part of our life and, and, and gives us grace to repent of such things and gives us victories in areas like that. And then before long, He's working on another part of our life. And I said, isn't that a great thing? That He loves us that much that He continues to work like that? And isn't it a great thing that, that, that as long as we continue to try, that He never gives up? Isn't that a great thing? No, no, He hasn't quit working on me for 36 years now. Continues to do that. Try to help me to get to the place that He wants me to be. Because He loves us and cares for us, and He doesn't want to live that life of sin begetting sin. He wants us to live a life of victory over sin. He wants to help us that way. But it's not going to happen just because we feel bad and I just, you know, I'm so sorry I did that with no thought of changing anything. Uh, come on. We, no, no, no. We might as well be messed up in some works salvation religion to where, you know, every time we get caught or every time we feel bad, we just say a little prayer and Lord, forgive me of that. And then we go on and live our life any way we want to with thoughts that we can go back and we can ask forgiveness again because, you know, God just loves us so much. And that's true. Mm. But people like that tend to be working their way, trying to work their way to heaven. And you can't work your way to heaven. Well, I hope when I get to heaven that my good works outweigh my bad works. Well, let me fill you in some bad news. They won't. Your good works will not outweigh your bad works. No, no, no. No, no, no. And there's only one way to have your sin forgiven. That's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why He came. That's why He paid the price. That's why He died on the cross shedding His blood. Uh, that's why He rose from the dead. I mean, I mean, He took our place. And when we put our faith and trust in Him, our sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. Uh, we're, we're born again by the Spirit of God. Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I mean, we do have a home reserved for us in heaven, but that does not mean that we're perfect from that point. We still have a lot of work to do, don't we? And God continues to work on us. He continues to do His part. Come on, anybody that's been saved knows what I'm talking about. He continues to do His part. He convicts us of sin, doesn't He? He convicts us when we're wrong. Absolutely so. And that's why He gives us a place that we can come, and whether it's the altar at the church house, or it's the altar at your house, or it's the altar behind the wheel of your car, I'm telling you, when God convicts us of sin like that, as born-again believers, we ought to take advantage, and even if we have to pull off the side of the road and take some time to repent of some things and get right with God, it's a very good thing to do. Absolutely.
Absolutely. I'm telling you, it's dangerous not to repent of sin. Come on, all, all last year we, 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 we studied it. I, I, I mean, the, the, the book of James says we're to be, be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. And somebody that sees it, they, they're, they're right and everybody else is wrong. I'm telling you, it's not going to be long before they're hateful and bitter and mean and, and distrustful. I'm telling you, yeah, I, no, no, no. And they've got this idea just like Eliphaz had. I'm right and you're wrong, Job. We're going to try to straighten you out. Not a good thing. It's not a good thing. We become blind to our own, own wickedness, our own sin. And that's why every time that God speaks to our heart, we ought to do something about it. Because pretty soon we get to feeling like we're doing all right just because we're sitting in the church house, or because we own a Bible, or because we say a prayer every once in a while, or because we give some money in the offering plate. No, no, we're right with God when we allow Him to shape us, mold us, make us, when we allow Him to guide us, when we're willing to listen to Him and say, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong, and I want to go your way. He goes on to talk about how a man's conscience will convict uh, him of sins. In verses 17 through 19, look, look at verse 17. It says, I will show thee, hear me, and that which I have seen I will declare, which wise, uh, which wise men have told him, uh, I'm sorry, which wise men have told from their fathers and have not hid it, unto whom alone the earth was given and no stranger passed among them. And so in those verses, Eliphaz begins to argue that there is a, um, uh, that, that, that this is a uh, self-evident truth. It, it, it is as old as sin itself. Uh, so unless you're from another planet, stranger and alien, you, you know that this is so. A wicked man lives in constant pain of a guilty conscience. Verse number 20, The wicked man travaileth with pain all his days. Let me touch another thing. We'll move on with that thought. A sinful man lives with a continual fear of being discovered. Now think about that with me. We're doing great on time. A wicked man lives with constant the constant pain of a guilty conscience. That's true, isn't it? until the conscience becomes seared because they just continue to do the same thing. Now, it's true. No, no, no. God gave us a conscience. Somebody say amen. We're all born with one. But I like it as he goes on. Look at the last part of verse number 20 there. And the number of years is hidden to the to the oppressor, a dreadful sound is in his ears. In prosperity, the destroyer shall come upon him. He believeth not that he shall return out of darkness, and he is waited uh, for of the sword. He wandereth abroad for bread, saying, Where is it? He knoweth that the day of darkness is ready at his hand. Trouble and anguish shall make him afraid, and uh, they shall prevail against him as a king ready to battle. 
A sinful man lives with continual fear of being discovered. <clears throat> Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I don't know if I'm following you here, preacher. Well, Eliphaz's point is that the reason, the reason wicked men live in the fear of discovery is because they know they're going to be punished for their sins. Okay. Thinking along this lines. It's like someone that does, does evil deeds. Um, a thief. A robber that knows that if he's ever discovered, if he's ever caught, there's going to be punishment for that. And with our conscience, really, we know that if we're discovered for the bad things that we do, that there's going to be punishment. And the reason that they know they'll be punished for their sin is because life itself teaches us that good people are blessed. Now, no, no, this is Eliphaz's thought again. That good people are blessed and bad people are judged. So when calamity strikes, when calamity comes, they know, and as everybody else knows, that their sin has finally caught up with them. That God has judged them. Again, tainted theology. Because that's not necessarily true. Okay, let me, let me interject this. Because this is where we are with Job. Job hadn't done anything to deserve this. Has he? He's not done anything to deserve this, but he's still going through what he's going through. I tell you, I don't know why they're going through that, but they must be going through that because I'm telling you, there must be something bad in their life. We better be careful. That's this theology that he has, that Eliphaz has. Job must have done something terrible. Because, hey man, when things like that happen, we know that God's just judging them. And he goes on to talk about uh, that the, the person that conceals their sin will experience the condemnation, the judgment of God on, in verses 25 through 35, that, that this is just going to happen. So, so, so Eliphaz, let's get him going through this. Eliphaz describes um, to Job four stages that a man passes through between sin, the sin he, and, and between uh, sin and God's judgment. And this is good. Mark this down. He talks about these four, four stages. The first one's defiance. Look at verse number 25 there. It says, For he stretches out his hand against God and strengthened himself against the Almighty. He runneth upon him, even on his neck, upon the thick bosses of his bucklers. So a sinner knows that what he is doing is wrong, but like a man who puts, like a man who puts on his armor and takes up his shield... The sinner charges into battle against God, determined to have his own way. Um, defiance. Now remember, he's being accusatory toward Job. 
But to an extent, that is true, isn't it? Isn't it something how somebody can be... Look up here for a second. Isn't it something how somebody can be so defiant against what this book says and sit there and tell you how right they are with God? I mean, mean you can take Scripture and you can show them and it's like, well, but I, and most of them really won't just outright say, I don't care what God says. But they'll continue to def- be defiant against God because they're going to go their own way no matter what. They're going to put on their armor and they're going to charge God no matter what. They're going to keep doing their own thing no matter what. Well, I don't really care what the Bible says. I just know that I'm doing the right thing. I don't, you know, I know, but I'm doing the right thing. And it's so against Scripture, but they are certainly convinced in their own mind that they're doing exactly what God wants them to do. Exactly. Which brings the second stage, and that's self-deception. Verse number 27 says, Because he covereth his face with his fatness. This is good. Because he covereth his face with his fatness and make collops of fat on his flanks. Is that politically correct? A lot of the Bible's not. What's this? What's this collop and all that? What's that? Well, he's describing someone who has grown fat through a life of self of sinful indulgence. That's what he's describing. Someone that has grown fat. I know that's not a real politically correct word, but that has grown fat through their own sinful Indulge us. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, he's feasted on his sin and he's feasted on his mistakes. Um, and, 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 and then, then he, he decides that his, his temporary fatness, oh, get this, that his temporary fatness is a uh, evidence that he's gotten away with it. Look at all I've done. God's not judged me. Never mistake God's grace and His long-suffering for His lack of noticing what you're doing. Because a lot of times, God is just graceful, gracious, and long-suffering with great hopes that you will repent. It's not that He said, oh well, that person, you know, they're just going to keep doing that and that's going to be okay. No, 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 no. No. He's describing, His description is right. But it brings us to the third stage and that's the stage of defenselessness. Defenselessness. 
Look at verse 28. And he dwelleth in desolate cities, and in houses which no man inhabiteth, which are ready to become heaps. He shall not be rich, neither shall his substance continue, neither shall he prolong the perfection thereupon the earth. He shall not depart out of darkness. The flame shall dry up his branches, and by the breath of his mouth shall he go away. The stage of defenselessness. This man is going on that way and thinking he's going to get by with all of this. Stay with me here thinking he's going to get by with all of this, and then things begin to happen in his life, and his life begins to crumble and fall apart, and he can do nothing to stop it. Now remember, remember, this is directed at Job, which is a wrong direction. But at the very same time, this is a great truth. I'll say it again. I want you young people to take note. This is a great truth. Because too many times people get off track and they get to live in a life that is much less than what God would have them to live and they think they're getting by with it. But one of these days, things are going to begin to crumble. Things are going to begin to fall apart. Things are going to be uh, to where there's no quick fix anymore. It's going to be that way. And where once people thought that their life, uh, that they were uh, indestructible, their life begins to resemble a city that's in ruins, is the way he lays it out here. Their wealth begins to disappear. They feel like they're stumbling in the dark and constantly putting out fires in their life. They, They feel like, someone who cannot outrun their troubles and they soon find themselves out of breath is the way he described it. Which brings us to the final stage and that's the stage of destruction. Destruction. Look at verse 31. Let not him that is deceived trust in vanity, for vanity shall be his recompense. It shall be accomplished before his time and his branch shall not be green. He shall shake off his unripe grape as the vine and shall cast off his flower as the olive. For the congregation of hypocrites shall be desolate and fire shall consume the tabernacles of bribery. They conceive mischief and bring forth vanity and their belly prepareth deceit. And so Eliphaz paints this very graphic picture of a man who, who desperately clings to Uh, desperately clings to his happiness, who refuses to see the hand of God, listen to me, please, listen to me, who refuses to see the hand of God against him in his troubles until finally he leaves God no choice but to bring him to utter destruction. Now, again, again, that is a truth. Someone that just continues to live any way they want to live and it goes against God and God's ways and they vehemently deny it. They don't want to admit to anything. I mean, they're having enough fun in life. They have enough happiness in life that I'm doing fine. I'm just fine. I'm living my life the way I want to. Things are going well for me. And finally, it brings 
utter destruction. I've seen it. You've seen it. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Think with me, think with me. I know it's Wednesday night late, but think with me. Homes destroyed. Lives destroyed. Children destroyed. Come on, marriage is destroyed. Because somebody thinks they can just live any way they want to, do whatever they want to do, go wherever they want to go, say whatever they want to say, just live however they want to live, and everything's going to be fine because they've gotten away with a little bit, but in the end of all that, there is destruction. Now, bring us back to where we are. That's what he's blaming, that's what he's saying against Job, and we know it's not true for Job's purpose. But it is a truth, isn't it? Because we have seen it. Over and over we've seen it. In my years of ministry, I've seen it. Over and again, people that will not repent of things they know that, are, that, that God wouldn't have in their life, and they just continue to do their own thing, they finally have to pay for it. Now, it doesn't make me happy. It makes me sad that people will not listen to God. It, it disturbs me that we have the truth of God right here in our hands, and yet we refuse to listen and to repent of things in our life that we know are not right. And you know what's even can and you know what's even worse? It's it it's it just it makes me crazy that that people go through things and then they suffer because of it and, and they have some time of repentance and things start going a little bit better and before long they're off track again. But that shouldn't surprise us a whole lot. I mean, if you've ever read the book of Judges, you know that that's pretty much the pattern at that time. The unspoken question at the end of Eliphaz's speech here is this. The unspoken question is this. Job, just how much more will you have to suffer before you come clean with God? No, it's not there, but it's between the lines. Come on, Job. I mean, how much more are you going to have to go through before you just get honest with God? Are you going to force God to move to the final stage of destruction? Now, with that, let me wrap this up. We're going to go home. Let me wrap this up. I think that some allowance can be made for Eliphaz's misguided rebuke of Job when we remember that even Job himself may have agreed with his friend. Now, if, if tragedy had struck someone else instead of Job, Job may have been right there with him. I mean, he may have been one of those friends that was coming up with his own speech. I mean, Job's own words, if you remember, if you've been reading it, Job's own words reveal that there was nothing that he had experienced to this point that would explain what had happened to him. 
And so if the shoe was on the other foot, Job might have been making the very same arguments as Eliphaz. So I think we can give a little leeway here to this misguided rebuke. But now I want to talk to you and me, okay? Just for a minute. We should know better. You and I, we should know better. Because see, we've had some 6,000 years of human suffering behind us. Um, Job and his friends had relatively little by comparison. And so we need to realize that sometimes God chooses to allow the righteous to suffer so that He can teach much-needed lessons of grace. I'm going to say that again because I want you to get that. Truly. Because that's really the lesson. here. Sometimes God chooses to allow those that are doing right to suffer. So that God can teach us much-needed lessons of grace. Well, preacher, I don't know if I like that. I can't say I like it either. And preacher, I, I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I, you know, agree that God ought to be doing that. Well, you're just going to have to take that up with God because I have no control. But I know that if we allow it, please stay with me just a couple more minutes. I know if we allow it and handle it the way that God would have us to handle it. that good can come out of it. Even if it's just the fact that God gives us such grace because we are allowing God to be God and trusting Him through it all, that God gives us enough grace that one day we can sit down with someone else and say, Let me tell you what God taught me one time as I went through a dark valley. As I went through a storm. That type of suffering, it is out of that type of suffering that we have the great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. the author of that hymn, Horatio Spafford, was nearly bankrupted by the Chicago Fire back in 1871. Then in 1873, he and his wife and his four daughters, they welcomed a son into that family, uh, but shortly after watched him die. And in an effort to encourage him, uh, evangelist D.L. Moody, the, 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 the well-known evangelist, invited Horatio Spafford and his family to come spend some time with him in Europe. And uh, Mr. Spafford jumped at that opportunity. 
But he was unable to leave immediately, so he decided, well, I'll just go ahead and I'll send my wife and daughters and I'll join them shortly. And he did. And midway across the Atlantic in their trip, trip over to Europe, the ship uh, was uh, struck and it sunk. And only his wife survived. When uh, Mr. Spafford was headed across the Atlantic to join his wife, as he passed over what was the very spot where his daughters had drowned, he mentally, it was said that he mentally wrestled with God over the trials that had been allowed in his life. Why me, God? Why have I gone through such things? Trying to be faithful to you. Trying to do that which was right. And the story goes on to say that finally, though he was very overwhelmed with grief, that he decided, get this, he decided that he would trust God. He would trust God. Now, let me... Sometimes that's easier said than done. Understand. But that very thing can be life changing. Just trusting God. God, I don't know what's going on, but you do. I'm just going to trust you. And the story goes that when he decided to trust God, that the peace of God just flooded over him. And the result of it was a hymn that has brought God's grace to countless thousands of believers since that time. That says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, now get this part, whatever my lot thou has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Thou has taught, don't, don't, don't miss that word, taught me to say, it's well with my soul. Well, how did God teach him to say it's well with his soul? By tragedy. And then by trusting God. Eliphaz's theology of divine justice, it's corrupted. Does God bless those that are trying to do right? Oh yes, absolutely. Does God punish the wicked? At times He does. But is the theology dogmatic? God blesses those who are right and He punishes those who are wrong, so those that seem to be going through hard times must be in sin. No. It's not always the case. So we have to be careful. And we have to be full of grace. Suffering is not always a sign of God's judgment. Sometimes, please get this, I'm done. Sometimes, it is the channel that He uses to bring us His grace if, if 
we are, uh, if we were, come on, if we are willing to let Him teach us. Lord, I don't really understand why I'm having to go through all this. Will you teach me what you want me to know? So I'm just going to trust you. Again, let me say, and I am done, let me say. Sometimes that's easier for somebody else to say to you than it is to do. But it's always right to do it. To trust God and allow Him to teach you. Remember, remember, He's trying to conform us into the image of His Son. So to allow Him to teach you whatever it is He's trying to teach you that we might be blessed later. Because as we get on to the end of the uh, story, we know that Job is blessed later, isn't he? And he's blessed because he just continued to trust God. You know, as I've gotten into the book of Job, I've learned that there's a bunch of um, hard lessons in here. It's so much more than just Job was good, and he went through bad, and his friends were jerks, and then he was rewarded. There's so much more than that. And I think if we'll learn these life's lessons, that we'll be a lot better when that day comes that we'll stand before our great God. Let's stand. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, I couldn't begin to thank You enough for uh, just giving us the book of Job. Certainly the whole Bible, but even this book that uh, has often been read and misunderstood. I think that's overlooked a little. And then the lessons that are in here, not only from Job, but from his friends, from what is right and what is wrong. And Father, even as we went through this lesson, this message, this sermon tonight, I, I don't know how you may have spoken to hearts. I don't know what the needs may be. There may be somebody here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. I pray that you'd convict them deeply of their need of a Savior. There may be some here tonight that uh, there's things in their life they know should not be there and they need to come to an altar tonight and just repent to get those things right with you. Lord, you may have revealed something to someone they've been blinded to for a time in their life. Lord, I pray they'd get that right tonight. Even those watching by live stream, I just pray that you do a work that only you can do. Lord, as we open up these altars, I pray your perfect will would be done tonight. Help us, Lord, to leave determined. Determined. Not only that we're going to live for You, but that we are going to do our best to be good friends to those around us.
continue to tell them the truth. Lord, to make sure that we uh, know what's going on before we start trying to judge. Thank You once again for Your goodness and Your mercy. Pray You'll bless these next few minutes now. And ask it all in Jesus' name.